While Andrew and Craig believe the joy of discovery is crucial to enjoying any well-told tale, they will not shy away from spoiling specific story beats when necessary. Plus, these are books you should have read by now. this morning that i don't know what to say to hotel staff when they knock on my door and say housekeeping (laughs) you just you gotta nip it in the bud just hang up the do not disturb sign and never take it down which is what i do i just i i i don't know how i haven't is that what you do as someone who lives in hotels yeah yeah i just put the sign up they i mean sometimes they call like really? the sign says, "Do not disturb," and they call and are like, "Hey, do you want us to clean?" And I'm like, "No, I'm I'm comfortable with the the sign." <laughs> I think that's them making sure you're still alive. <laughs> I didn't just like I'm not dead in a bathtub or something. Ooh, that took a bleak turn. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to Overdue. This is a podcast about the books and bleak turns you've been meaning to take. Uh, my name uh, is Craig. My name is Andrew, and that's never something that I've thought about doing. It's just- <laughs> We've been watching a lot of The Sopranos, and so like it, it could put got you a little in dark. Kind of a, yeah, yeah. Well, I was in I was in a hotel room this morning in D.C. and I don't. I'm so bad at the Do Not Disturb sign. I just don't use it, um, even though I should, because then what happens is they knock on the door and I go panicked. I just go, "We're still in here," and then they leave. Just say no, thank you. I mean, that's another thing you could try. But that always sounds like He's I'm being a jerk. Speaking like. They don't care. <laughs> no, thank you. I don't want you to do your job here in my room. No, or, thank you. Like, no, thank you. You don't have to do your job in here today. <laughs> like, here's so. a free, here's a free break. Like, go, go take a smoke or something. I just, I always panic when that happens. I don't know what to say <laughs> to them. Or just put it. You put up the do not disturb sign in the evening, and then you like leave. And when you leave to go do whatever it is that you're doing, you take the sign off, and that's when they can clean. All right, they were use, really use the sign like a shield, like run, run <laughs> interference with the sign. Should I just carry the sign around the hotel? Like, don't talk to me. Do not disturb. You should me. just get like a do not disturb shirt for your for every day. Oh, wearing around. Did I get it from Hot Topic? Keep calm and do not disturb. Jeez. Oh, it would have like Jack Skellington on it. I don't know. <laughs> Is that still Hot Topics thing? What's this? What's this? Please leave me alone. What's this? What's yeah. This? So what did you read this <laughs> week, Craig? I read the novelization of uh, that movie that Jack Skellington's in, whose name the I totally know. The Nightmare Before Christmas? The Nightmare Before Christmas. You did not do that. I read The Reader by Bernhard Schlink. Okay. I hear that this is a lighthearted romp and that it's a lot of fun. Can you confirm or deny? I can confirm. Um, the word, the German word for lighthearted fun romp is Vergankenheitsbeweichtegung, uh, <laughs> which I probably pronounced wrong. And it actually doesn't mean that at all. Uh, that's a word that means struggling to come to terms with the past. <laughs> Man, this book uh, fits into that genre of German literature, which I did not realize is a genre. But when you say it, it sounds like a quintessentially German genre. (laughs) I wish that English did that thing more often where you could just mash up a bunch of words together to express a complex sentiment in a single word. Yeah, I really like I wish we could do that. Like spork. Yeah. Or spam no i mean it's gotta be it's like a spork that's dumb and only (laughs) americans would need like oh it's too hard to decide whether i need a spoon or a fork so here we go it's more like i don't know the way that the way that german does it is just is just it strikes me funny like their word for glove is just hanshu which means like a hand shoe literally yeah i think by the virtue of English being a bunch of other languages, we got all the not fun words. 
or we got all like the words that are just kind of there. It's like to your point about Hanchu in France, they call potatoes apples of the earth. <laughs> I mean, they don't they they don't think of them as that, but that's what the word means. So they like they stopped inventing words like five hundred years ago, and they can like new words can only be combinations of old words yes what orwellian future have we somehow well, ended up in just like in english like all the portmanteaus just make me mad like webinar <laughs> makes me so mad to think about webinars what about vlog uh, video weblog uh weblog is already i know a portmanteau. it's a triple portmanteau uh, you don't get extra points <laughs> Like for com- combining them, you get extra Reddit points. That's how it works. So, Ugh. Craig, tell me about uh, tell me about Bernhard Schlink, who is the author of this book. What What do you know about him? I don't know as much as I'd like. He seems like a really interesting dude. Uh, he was born in 1944. Uh, his parents were both uh, theology pr- professors, I believe. Uh, his father lost his position. Uh, when the Nazis came to power and ultimately became a pastor. And I think this is germane because this is relevant to the main character's experience in the book. I just said germane and relevant in the same sentence. It is part of the book. <laughs> nice, nice. The main character, Michael Berg, in The Reader, uh, his parents are also, or his dad specifically, is a philosophy professor. And he lost his job when the Nazis came to power for writing about Spinoza or something. So right. there's some similarities there. Uh, Schlink is part of what he calls the second generation, which is part a huge theme in this book, is the, the generation of Germans who reached adulthood after World War II was completely over and are mm-hmm. dealing with not only what Germany did, but what their parents did in the aftermath. Um, and Schlink himself uh, is a law professor and judge. I think he might have retired in 2006. He's yes. written a bunch of detective novels, which I I do, I have no idea what a German detective novel is like. <laughs> I'm kind of <laughs> interested in that. Uh, but so it it where this book takes a turn in the, in the middle in terms of occupying itself with the processes of law and and law following. World War II uh, and how Germany treated the Nazis or people who were Nazis mm-hmm. um, seems to follow directly from his own professional concerns, if that okay. makes sense. Yes. I don't know that I necessarily have much more on him than that, unfortunately, unless you found anything else juicy. No, no. Um, just I just, it's, I guess it's interesting that there is this whole, I mean, there's a whole genre of literature. There's a whole generation that, you know, their parents were involved in World War II and it's like a living memory for them. But it's, you know, it's not a living memory for for their children. And so just having to, I don't know, like, I I, I don't want to sound stupid because I'm not sure, you know, I'm not, I'm not like well versed on this topic, but (laughs) like generations that have come after that first generation they seem i don't know they 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 still wrestle with that but i think there's also a sense of like wanting to move on and like be able to be you know a little nationalistic or like proud of their country again or or whatever like i think that's that's come up a little bit with the world cup stuff oh yeah recently is it is it's like all of a sudden it's totally fine to be like rooting for germany to win something <laughs> Okay. But yeah, it's just it, the every, everything about this everything about Bern, Bernard Schlink's life and I guess the reader is still so ingrained in in German culture, so. Well, yeah, it's I guess it's interesting too because this book was written 5 years after Germany was reunited, which is a whole thing I have no I have not nowhere near enough information in my brain about. That is like a foreign history subject that uh tear down that wall that's about all i know like yeah like we were little kids when it happened so and i did not study it in any depth ever it's just Mm -hmm. this is a pretty good wake-up call that i don't know much about uh germany during its period as two countries 
Um, yeah. Overdue, exposing our own ignorance since 2013. <laughs> yep, pretty much. Uh, and it's the same, you know, it's the same idea as I think this whole movement to discuss the perpetrators of uh, the Holocaust as actual people is something that is kind of surrounding the criticism around this book criticism for good and bad you know literary criticism sure. and actual criticism because um, yeah, i feel like the nazis are one of those one of the few groups who it's totally okay to hate which i think maybe is why so many of those early shooter games were all like world war ii shooters because you don't have to humanize nazis or like nope. feel bad about making people kill nazis because nope. we all agree that nazis are bad we all agree that nazis are bad uh, until you fall in love with one. Oh my goodness gracious. Oh All right. man. What are you talking about? So we'll come back to the overall themes of Vergangen heist uh a little <laughs> later. But we, let's talk about the story of this book first. All right. All right, hit me. So Michael Berg, it opens. Now I made a crucial error in reading this book in that uh, I forgot that there was a main character who was a dude like... The the ish the edition I'm reading has Kate Winslet on the cover from the movie, and I knew that it was about a lady. And I start reading the first chapter, and it's all from the first person. So I thought it was about like a girl for a little while, and then I realized mm-hmm. it was not. <laughs> it was about a dude. That's okay. My fault. Uh, it's Michael Berg. He's 15. It's 1958, uh, I believe, and he falls ill in public, and uh, this woman Hannah Schmitz, who's uh, in her 30s, kind of helps him out and gets him home safely. And then that's like never he sees him again for a period of time. And he is recovering from Wait, hepa- so never sees no. him again for a period of time. Ah, <laughs> oh, it's been a long day. <laughs> she doesn't see him for a while. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> is there a German word for foot, <laughs> foot and mouth? What's like hand foot? I'm sure that there is, but I'm not going to be offensive enough to try and make yeah, one up. <laughs> I'm sure there's an umlaut involved. Uh, so he battles hepatitis for three months um, and is like home from school. And he ends up risking like kind of he's feeling better, but he's still not back in school yet. And he decides to like go out during the day to visit her and say thank you. Uh, and it's really awkward because he's 15 and she's a little quiet and severe, but not. You know, not mean. She's just kind of a stoic woman, and uh, she's just living in her apartment, which has like a bathtub in the kitchen. Like it's like a flat. You know, it's pretty bare. Okay. And so she asked him. This is this is probably as close to comedy as the book gets. She asked him to go get some coal from the basement, and he goes down to get it, and whoop 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 whoop, all it all falls over, and he's covered in coal. <laughs> like it makes a big mess, and womp, then. Womp. And then, of course, she decides that she can't send him home all dirty, so she bathes him in her kitchen, and then okay. and then seduces him, and then they start having sex a lot. Uh, sending him home, sending him home a little dirty. It sounds like hey. Uh, so this is this is a German version of The Graduate, is what I'm getting from your yes, description so far. Basically, basically, um, and she's kind of she's moody, she's uh, wiser than him, but not. Uh, I don't know. She she simultaneously drives the relationship and kind of seems disinterested in it, and that's probably how she drives it. If that makes sense. Okay. Um, well, because when you're 15 and somebody. Like anybody <laughs> likes you and they tell you about it, then like automatically you're on the defensive because yes, you you're no so you're so on. thrilled that anybody likes you at all that you just you're willing to do anything for them. So. Uh, well, one of the things that he ends up doing for her is reading to her a lot. Okay. She at one point she asks him what he's reading in school, which is like, hey, I just had sex with you. Hey, what you what what kind of homework you doing? <laughs> what are you working on lately? It's a little weird. Um, and she uh, starts asking him to read her the things that he's like reading in school. So it starts with the Odyssey and then moves on to some other books from the German Enlightenment. Um, stuff that he's interested in that he thinks is important. 
So uh, he's the titular reader. Then. He is the reader. Yes. Okay. Not her. Uh, so their relationship is kind of fascinating because he doesn't know what to do for and with her. Like he doesn't know how to navigate an adult relationship and she doesn't seem to care whether or not he navigates it, if that makes sense. Okay. Uh, there's a scene where on his like Easter break, he's like, ooh, it's Easter break. I don't have to go to school. I'm going to get up. She works on a streetcar. She's a conductor. So I'm going to get on her streetcar, and then I'm going to ride the train with her. And he gets on, and he like ignores her and goes to the back car. And then he gets all weird about why she doesn't come say hi to him. And then they have a fight about how they didn't, talk to one another like she was like why didn't you come up and say hi and he was like well why how did i know that that's what i wanted to do i i should have i wanted to surprise you and then it kind of they make up because he just admits that he wanted to have sex with her on the streetcar <laughs> okay pr- pretty, i don't i don't really know how to this is pretty good that. pretty good like busted early romance kind of stuff you know sure. what i mean right um there's actually when you were talking earlier about not knowing what to do when people like you, uh, he starts getting really like he goes back to school a little while later and he he starts getting really confident with the other girls in class. Okay. Because now he feels like he knows his way around women. Um, I just want to read this little passage here and see if it uh, rings true or at least memorable for you as as a young man. Does everyone feel this way? When I was young, I was perpetually overconfident or insecure. Either I felt completely useless, unattractive, and worthless, or that I was pretty much a success and everything I did was bound to succeed. When I was confident, I could overcome the hardest challenges, but all it took was the smallest setback for me to be sure that I was utterly worthless. Yeah, I mean, I do that now, so. (laughs) Yeah, I don't think that that's just being young. I think that's, I don't know, that's human, right? I think when you get when you get older, there's a rational part of your brain that knows that it's not true, but it doesn't mean that you don't feel like that anyway. <laughs> yeah, well, or you have more stuff to say, oh, well, I have that at least, or I have this at least. Or like when you're an adult, at least you can go out and like buy a whole box of Fruity Pebbles and just <laughs> upend it into your mouth. Like you can develop other more nuanced coping mechanisms. <laughs> What is the point of the Fruity Pebbles? Is it to drown your sorrows or is it to like eat a whole box and go, you know what? I am a man. I ate all those Fruity Pebbles. You can do both. A little both. (laughs) Okay. You finish what you started is what what that's about. (laughs) Okay. Uh, Another funny scene, funny-ish scene that happened uh, in their kind of nascent relationship that I liked is that uh, he's, they're like hanging around talking about pet, coming up with pet names for each other and she asks him which animal do you see when you hold me and close your eyes and think of animals which is a weird question anyway <laughs> 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 I hadn't thought of that until I just read it out loud just now wait do you do you hold like when you hold Laura, do you hold her and think of animals? Like no, and she won't let me. She, I can't go any further on the podcast. She wouldn't let me talk. She wouldn't want me to talk about that. Oh God, she'd be like, someone will text her and be like, oh, it was funny. Craig talked about you on the show. She's like, what did we talk about? I said, which animal do you see when you hold me? <laughs> close your eyes and think of animals. Just close your eyes and think of animals. That's, well, that's what we all do. I what? Think. So then he does answer because he's he's like looking at her calf or something and it's like twitching. Wait, like like her calf or does she have a small (laughs) cow? Now that we're on animals, I I need you to clarify for me. (laughs) Her leg. Her leg. And he like her muscles are twitching or something. And so he says a horse. (laughs) Okay. Not not the first answer I would have gone to. Okay. Take, she she gets kind of mad and it takes him a little while to to like work work it back and he's like well I can't call, you know you're not a bunny or a kitten and you're not a tiger that's evil so he called her a horse because they're like powerful okay was, I mean I guess you could do where you could have been like 
a boar. Yeah. Yeah. Or like a vulture or something. <laughs> like those are worse animals than a horse. So it reminded me of a of an anecdote that uh I only occasionally share cuz it doesn't make me look great. Uh in high school in my first relationship um my, the girlfriend I, I had at the time in like for whatever reason I think we were like do we want to get off this like trip bus to go get some food like as a group and she said not i and i said not i said the cow as in like that story <laughs> that's <laughs> you know like what is that mother hen no, i get it. i know you're referencing i think it's that book where that chicken wants to make like bread or something yeah that hen goes around and, like, like who wants bread who wants to help me make it and all the animals say yeah. not i and nobody wants to help make it but everybody wants to help eat it yep well, I could have picked a better animal, I guess. Like any other animal. <laughs> like any other animal in that story. <laughs> I didn't live that one down for a long time. Sure. Uh, probably not going to lay it down ever. No, certainly not now. No, that it's recorded and up on the, on the internet for internet. everybody. Anyway, so their relationship has its ups and downs. Um, they have they have plenty of spats that are far uh, deeper than him calling her a horse. <laughs> Um, sure. And one that actually is like <clears throat> he stepped out for a little while where they were at a hotel together and left her a note and she didn't see it and they get in a huge fight about it. And then one day she just mysteriously disappears. It's like not long after that trip and he doesn't see her again for six years. And okay. when he sees her again, as Bl- as Bernhard Schlink is want to do, he will put it like huge plot advancements as the first sentence in a chapter so like when he falls in love with her chapter seven starts the next night i fell in love with her bing bang boom that's all i need to know jeez so then he doesn't see her again for six years he goes off to, to university the chapter begins when i saw hannah again it was in a courtroom oh okay then great so we're in the sixties. settling a paternity <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so this is where you find out that she was a Nazi. Um, yeah. And the book takes a turn from like kind of philosophical romance novel to Nazi book, Nazi history book, or, mm. or Vergangen Heistebalstagung. Right. I'm really glad that you're pronouncing that so confidently. Like, even if it's not 100 percent right, you you sound you sound confident. Thanks. I think I've said it differently every time. <laughs> so. Well, you still sound confident. Like you sound so confident that I didn't even remember that you were pronouncing it differently. Okay, good. So the crime that happened uh, that she's on trial for, she was a guard uh, at a camp outside Auschwitz where they would, you know, rotate people in and out. Mm-hmm. Um, and 300 or so women and children that were under not only her care but a couple other guards, women guards at the time perished in a church fire during a bombing and mm-hmm. the guards were ordered not to unlock the doors while they were all in there and to stop any of them from escaping that they would use the fire as an excuse to escape and then they all died uh, The well, they didn't all die because a survivor wrote a book and that's the like primary evidence that they're using against these women in this trial. I assume this is a like an in-universe book and not a real book. Yes. It's or an is in- it based on a real thing? No, it's an in-universe book. It's actually interesting. There were a series of, so this is 20 years after the actual Nuremberg trials that happened right after World War II, mm-hmm. but there were the Frankfurt Auschwitz trials, uh, which took place between 63 and 65, which is about when, this fake when this fictional event would have occurred okay Um, so i'm sure that schlink is doing that on purpose uh oh yeah 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 and it was also interesting just kind of reading the sentences for the people in that real trial because it was all life imprisonment or 10 to 15 years or released uh whereas a large number of the people in the nuremberg trials were just sentenced to death so that should tell you something about evolving views and changes in, of responsibility i suppose so you're saying at nuremberg people were sent, sentenced to death and then 20 years later people were being given yes lengthy sentences but not like not death <laughs> yes well and okay and this the the auschwitz trials were also dealing with people on the lower uh 
they were not international trials. It was purely a German affair, and it was it was mm-hmm. dealing with people at lower spots on the totem pole, as it were, like okay. Hannah. Um, so what ends up happening is she kind of he is uh, he's going to these trials for a class in his university, and they're talking about you know what are we supposed to do with these people? Um, are they responsible for what they did, or were they just following orders? You know, similar stuff that you hear whenever you kind of talk about the Holocaust. Um, And it boils down to she starts separating herself out from the other defendants by her story not really matching up to what was supplied. And then they accuse her of being the one who actually wrote the report of the fire afterwards. Okay. She denies it at first. And they say, well, why don't you, you know, supply us with your handwriting, uh, to prove that it's not you uh and she kind of balks and then admits to having done it so michael kind of puts two and two and three and three together and realizes that she is illiterate and has been the entire time okay and that this kind of secret shame that has driven you know has dictated the course of her life has you know not wanting to expose that is going to send her to jail um, for taking all the heat. And that's the kind of moral quandary that he is put in, right? Where he he doesn't know. He realizes it. He's not sure if he should go tell the judge about it. He uh, kind of retroactively figures out that a lot of their relationship issues based on like her weird moodiness, her weird routines... Um, the fact that she never saw anything more ambitious in her life than being the conductor on that train was because she couldn't do anything more complicated than that. Mm -hmm. Um, and that she's also taking these, some of the prisoners at the, at the satellite camp, she would take some of the younger ones and keep them with her for periods of time and have them read to her. And he's not sure and never gets the answer as to whether or not she was doing it to give them kind of respite or if it was for her own reasons. And then when they died, was she doing that to keep her secret or was was that just a thing that happened? Uh, Yeah, right. And then she could have gotten a different job when she signed up for the SS rather than being a guard if she had, you know admitted that she was literate or if she had been literate you know it kind of limited her options mm-hmm. uh so michael is kind of wrestling with this and, and not sure what to do about it he says i wanted simultaneously to understand hannah's crime and to condemn it but it was too terrible for that when i tried to understand it i had the feeling i was failing to condemn it as it must be condemned when i condemned it as it must be condemned there was no room for understanding but then, but even as I wanted to understand Hannah, failing to understand her meant betraying her all over again. Um, so he recognizes his own kind of investment in her and feels some weird shame about it in, mm-hmm. in that same thing that we've been talking about earlier where he, they wanted to condemn their parents for just tolerating that people had been Nazis and now were like not all locked up. Because what do you do with those people? I don't know what you do with those people afterwards. Yeah, I mean, it's... What do you even do with with people who were Nazis after? Because it's... I mean, that that sentence pretty much sums it up, right? Like, you feel like, okay, you were a Nazi, so you are terrible. But that doesn't... That doesn't leave any room for interpretation. But if you start talking about, like, room for interpretation when you're talking about Nazis, then... You know, you you are sort of implicit, implicitly not defending or not agreeing with, but, you know, not not taking the line on them that history has taken, I guess. Yeah, but if, you know, if you want to criticize and condemn all those acts by saying that they were inhuman, then coming back around the other way and saying, well, some of those people who did that were kind of human, like that, that I can see how you don't know what to do. <laughs> like I can see the kind of intellectual and ethical quandary that mm-hmm. is. Um, and this book overall feels like a very 
slimmed down parable to explore that particular situation. Does that make sense? Okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, like it, it takes it takes the story between these two people and uses it to comment on a larger element of German culture. Yeah, uh, I would say that it's not. You know, I've been doing mostly plot summary, so I'm going to try and get away from that now. But it's a pretty spare novel, and I can't tell if that's just because it's German or if that's the style. <laughs> Was this written in German and translated, or did he write it in English? Written in German and translated two years later by someone else. Okay. Um, his prose, it's yeah, so I can't tell if the prose is, not that it's not agile and, and capable of shifting tense really easily and, and capable of having interesting 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 imagery man uh but it is pretty blunt uh, it sounds really direct yes like the way you were saying that he sums up you know he sums up big shifts in single sentences like it, it just sounds like it doesn't it sounds like it doesn't dance around the point very much no it kind of sets up a couple points and then turns the main character's mind loose on them is mm-hmm. how mo- most of the scenes play out um there's one towards the end that i won't uh give away because i already give away gave away one big secret of the book um where another huge event happens that is just one sentence at the beginning of a chapter and mm-hmm. then there's fallout from it afterwards um it is weird that it feels weird to say this i liked the first part of the book more before now is that because you could just read it and enjoy the foibles without having to think about nazis or what i guess at that point it didn't feel like a parable it felt like a character study and the second, specifically the middle where it's kind of filling us in on, on what happened to her, that feels more like a parable. It feels slim for the purpose of exploring this issue. Where it- So you mean like it just it's less enjoyable as a story because it begins to feel like something with a moral or what, what are you saying? I think I, I'm trying to say it becomes a little didactic, I think. Okay. Um. It is raising a bunch of interesting ideas, but uh, the situations are less uh, compelling, if that makes okay. sense. Yeah, yeah. Um, like, I have visual memories of scenes earlier in the book. The stuff I described earlier, the streetcar scene, the, um, the coal scene in the basement, other interesting snippets of their lives together. I also like in his prose, he actually talks about that. Um, it's, he talks about having pictures of her in his memory, not necessarily having like whole stories of her in his memory, which I think is interesting. Um, but then later on those, those little snippets and scenes take a backseat to the, you know, the capital P point that the book is trying to make. Is that the deal? Yes. Um, and then towards the end when it's dealing a little bit more with her illiteracy kind of like head on, um, as he, in the third part he begins later on in his life late in her prison sentence he begins sending her tapes of him reading books with no other correspondence Mm -hmm. so that she can listen to them Um, she starts writing him back as she's learning to read and write um, which is kind of sweet and she ends up so he what he is corresponding with her and he also invented audiobooks is that what you're (laughs) basically I think at this point it's I want to say it's in the late 70s or 80s it's in the 80s at this point so audiobooks sort of existed um so he's recording them onto cassette tapes and then like mailing her cassette tapes basically Mm -hmm. but he's not including anything else other than him just reading them and he's not writing a note or anything to her because i mean does she even know that they're from him or does he just know her voice or she just knows his voice or what uh maybe both but i i think he says that it's him Uh, because they're they're able to track him down later the the prison is when they need to uh, follow up on her but that that is a moving image that i think that the the, cent- the center of the book just doesn't have in that same way because mm-hmm. um, it's trying to deliver so many facts and to set up this you know ethical argument right um i think the story kind of takes a back seat and then it 
almost feels like a little bit hit over the head at the end with his responsibility to like literacy in general. Um, what does that mean? Well, she, she, he's supposed to give some money of hers to, uh, the surviving girl from that fire. And, uh, she doesn't want it because it's dirty Nazi money. Um, and she will, and she doesn't want to give it to any sort of Holocaust foundation because she doesn't want to absolve Hannah of what Hannah did. So, Mm -hmm. uh, she's like, well, what should we do with it? You do, you take the money. I don't want to deal with it. And so he decides to donate it to a Jewish literary literacy organization. And it's just take, I don't know. It's like, I get it. And it's, it's, it's nice. I don't know. It does. It the way, I mean, yeah, the way you say it, it sounds like no big deal, I guess. But it feels like duh, and okay. <laughs> um, which I don't know. It's not as. It's just a part of the ending. The book kind of takes its time winding down, and maybe that's part of the problem. I'm not sure. Um, I mean, how how so? I I could just feel it winding. I don't know. I could just feel like the he didn't see her for so long and then she's in jail it starts montaging basically if that oh, okay. it starts skipping forward in time faster than it ever had um and that starts to like have a numbing effect if that makes sense okay um because it moves even further away from like the little interpersonal vignettes and stuff that you liked about the early part of the book Is yes that it? thank you for okay. interpreting what i'm mumbling <laughs> That's why I'm here. Uh, that and and jokes, I guess. That Funny Nazi jokes. And jokes. jokes, and jokes. <laughs> <laughs> I, the the main theme, of course, is retroactively. I think is her illiteracy. Um, as, well, it's a central metaphor anyway. You can view it as German illit- moral illiteracy. Um, okay. Which people have argued for, people have argued for and argued against. Um, some have seen, have taken issue with it just on like basic factual, even illiterate people could have heard Hitler over the radio kind of. Yeah. Yeah. And that seems a little on the nose too as a, as a metaphor. <laughs> um, but it, but what it does ring interestingly for me, that's a terrible, I'm full of terrible turns of phrase today. Um, it's like I'm translating my own words and then trying to say them back out loud. Uh, okay. But you don't even know what to do with that. <laughs> nope. I'm just going to let you keep digging. <laughs> uh, is this idea that Germany is this culture that has prided itself on creating capital C culture, right? It had mm-hmm. played a huge role in the Enlightenment um, and has been driving, you know, music and art and philosophy for centuries and then out of that country comes the holocaust um and i think that type of there's something to that discrepancy that is echoed in uh the books that purposely echoed in the books that michael chooses to read to her right i think schlink is doing that on purpose um kind of bringing in these classical texts and showing her showing these to him and her the nazi not being able to read them etc um, mm-hmm. and that kind of cultural discrepancy is on purpose. Yeah. <laughs> I, there's not much to say about it other than, yeah, it's cause that's what makes it kind of like a fable or a parable to me where it's like, yep, that that's, that's the symbolism. You know, I get it. Mm-hmm. That's what you're going for. Um, like if I was writing the cliffs notes, like that's what I would, <laughs> that's what I would write about. Yeah. And it's not something that comes through. It's, it's a little more pat in the in the second section of the book. I'll keep harping on that. Um, I could have I could have lived in that first third of the book for longer. I think. Yeah. Uh, Tell me. I mean, because I'm reading about it. I mean, a little bit. Yeah. Now, tell me more about the, like the intent or the you know the suspected intent that that um, Schlink is using Hannah's actual illiteracy to imply some sort of moral illiteracy or like i don't know like lack of responsibility or lessened responsibility yeah that's that's an issue there right is 
is she actually responsible for what she did? Um, mm-hmm. Was she like a folktown dullard that just kind of signed up for the SS because otherwise you would have gotten killed? Like, and does that absolve her of what she's done? The book doesn't really give you a good answer. Um, it definitely condemns her to 20 years in prison. Um, and the thing that Michael harps on repeatedly is since he fell in love with her and he had sex with her and he created this relationship with her and space for her in his life, he doesn't feel like he can continue to condemn that generation of people the same way that his peers have, um, the same way that other people in his age group have said well how could you have stood by and watched this happen or how could you have stood by and accepted these people back into society mm-hmm. um, they were monsters but he knows that for all you know for her many flaws she is not a monster at least to him um i don't know that that i don't know that it's a particularly nuanced metaphor um <laughs> right yeah, I think there's something there's something too that there, there was a lot made of the uh, during the Nuremberg trials of the collective IQs of everyone involved and mm-hmm. how they were all super high. <laughs> uh, okay. And those were the people. You mean that when you say everyone involved, you mean the, the Nazis, right? Yes. Not, like not all, the all the guys. It's the Nuremberg trials. Yeah. <laughs> uh, no, the people who were put on trial. Mm-hmm. Um, folks at the top of Hitler's regime. Uh, and so people pointed to that and were kind of saying like, how could this have happened? All these people were so smart. Um, and then this is the, I think this is the opposite end of that, which is like, here is someone who is conventionally unsmart or at least in society deemed as such. Um, Mm -hmm. what is their role to play in this? What was their role to play? I don't think that's how smart works. Yeah. I don't think it does either, (laughs) you know? being smart doesn't like make you moral and vice versa like you can you can be dumb and evil well that's <laughs> there are lots of there are lots of dumb people who are evil but you can be well if, if movies are to be believed this you can be dumb and and super pure of heart like forrest gump like you can just be the nicest morally smart person that ever existed but that's be- like the the charlie defense i think <laughs> what do you mean like flowers for algernon oh yes thank you the the sweet simple dullard yeah trope i guess yeah and she is not a sweet simple dullard she is uh pretty prickly and and quick-witted when she needs to be with him um Mm -hmm. there's one thing one line i remember from earlier in the book when he comes to her like i think he just leaves his friends after school and wants to show up and have sex with her and he's really eager about it. And she goes, what do you want, kid? Your whole life in one hour? It's like a really good line. It's like a really good you're 15 shut up line. Um, and she has that throughout the book. But there's even a moment later where he kind of sees her as this old woman that he's, you know, after 20 years. And he, yeah, she kind of lets herself go in that regard after being fastidious and almost OCD in her cleanliness earlier in the book. Mm-hmm. Um how what are they he's 15 what are they gonna do for a whole hour (laughs) i don't know (laughs) um yeah it's a it's an interesting book i find myself uh i don't know if i talked about this on the the last one of the last episodes but it's one of those books that i find myself really interested in the ideas more than parts of the book itself Sure, yeah, yeah. It sounds it sounds more like you want to go and read the Wikipedia article on this whole literary genre a little bit more than you want to like read this book again. If that makes sense. Yeah. And and I didn't dislike the book. I I actually enjoyed large portions of it, but it's when it became when I became clear what it was kind of setting up, I was like, "Oh, okay. I want to go read about that. I don't yeah. I don't necessarily need to keep reading this." I mean, maybe that's maybe that's part of the point, or maybe yeah, it yeah. You know, maybe it succeeds in spite of you know some of it ringing a little hollow. Is it introduces these ideas to people and makes them interested in in wanting to know more? And so maybe on that, like on that 
scale it is it did everything that it intended to do and that you know i'll say as he is a a lawyer and a judge schlink is right and i Mm -hmm. found that i've you know i've read a couple books dealing with issues you know medical issues or medical ethics issues written by doctors and i've had similar reactions where i don't always love everything about how the story unfolds or the artistry of you know that part of the book but the ideas are always well worth ruminating on. Or, yeah, because I think I think if you if people who have firsthand experience with this kind of stuff are writing about it, you kind of get the sense that they start with the idea first and then work backwards to a good story. Yes, that's, and they don't always get there. Yeah. Um, and I think it's just the bluntness of the story does it a little bit of disservice, but th- that it helps the argument. If that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, and there was some there's some weirdness in translation. There was there's a whole argument where they just argue over whether or not it's the streetcar scene where they argue about whether or not why did you act like you didn't want to know me? And it's just a weird like that's not what that's not what she means. It's there's probably different words that we would use if it were in English. Well, she I don't know. Maybe she has. Maybe it's because she has all these other issues about you know, these deep seated insecurities about being illiterate. And so anytime anybody acts like that, she, I don't know. She is, she is suddenly worried that they've like found her out or something like that. That's fair. Maybe I'm giving, maybe I'm giving Schlink a little too much credit. No, (laughs) no, you're probably giving him the credit he deserves. I was actually more hung up on the fact that throughout their argument, they both toss around the word, no, like know you or know me in a way that I feel like is probably should be more nuanced if it were Mm -hmm. not through translation. Maybe. Um, maybe, eh, maybe not. I don't know. Um, and I also was made painfully aware of another thing I know not a lot about, which is illiteracy. <laughs> like I just don't, I don't have firsthand experience of you know. There's not a person in my life that I know of who struggles with that. So I yeah, can't I mean, even imagine. If we were seventy episodes into this thing and you were illiterate somehow, I would be, I would be more impressed than upset. <laughs> I think. Yeah, okay. <laughs> but then it did get me thinking I was when I was traveling this weekend, just kind of looking around at at sign signage and iconography that uh like something as simple as restrooms, right? Like mm-hmm. how are you going to direct people around? It's the same th- I was thinking about it in the same way that you like you see more and more signs now that have both English and Spanish, right? Mm-hmm. Or depending on the neighborhood, sometimes it's Chinese or or whatever. Um but also that kind of visual iconography is just as important. Yeah, I mean, say. and I'm sure for illiterate people, you learn to recognize the shapes of words without necessarily knowing what they mean. Yes. So, yeah. yeah. So, I'm interested in that. Um, but Maybe we should read something about illiteracy. I'm sure there are books. I'm sure there are books. And this is just the tip of the iceberg. Um, interesting book. If If you're interested in it at all, you should read it. Um, I don't read a lot of German fiction, so I'm I'm happy to have included this in in my list of stuff that I've read. Um, Germany as a culture seems fascinating, like, and I don't know enough about it. Yeah, I mean, I, in general, I think nobody knows enough about anything. <laughs> well, that's fair enough. I can say that about most of the things we read. That's true. Right? Yeah, yeah. Um, but it was interesting to read a book that was dealing about a, you know a culture de- wrestling with itself. Well, and then, and something that we are sort of dimly aware of, but maybe not as well versed in as we should be or could be. So yeah. yeah. Schlink wisely calls out like our Hollywood imagery of the Holocaust. Like the book is just old, just new enough that it knows about Schindler's list, um, which it mentions by name. Like it says, uh, you know, these he goes to a camp at some point, and he's like, "All, all I've ever seen of these are in are in films," um, mm-hmm. and it's interesting to think about the fact that yeah, that that is really where all of our imagery of it comes from. I mean, you can yeah. go to museums and see some pictures, but it's not it's not as prevalent. I wonder how the the film version of this book handles that. This is from 2008, and yeah, oh, that's yeah. where the that's where the Kate Winslet picture on your cover comes from. <laughs> yes, that's true. All right, I don't know. Maybe I'll go see that movie now. All right, maybe. 
Um, if, if if you, I don't know, how do we segue this? If you've seen the reader or read the reader and had a different or similar reaction, uh, had any kind if of you had a reaction, all, I guess. you can hit us up on social media at twitter.com slash overdue pod or facebook.com slash overdue pod, or you can write in to our email account, overdue pod at gmail.com. I want to thank Emily, Lee, Kat, Tina, Eric, uh, and Terry for reaching out to us over the week. Terry specifically reminded us that we said the words wank fuel once. Yeah. And I, this great example of things that we say into the internet and promptly forget because I had no idea that that was a thing that we said. Thanks, Fifty Shades. <laughs> <laughs> if you don't really care to communicate with us, but you want to read stuff or something, we have a website up at overduepodcast.com. Um, up there we have Amazon links to every book that we read, the ones that we have read, the ones that we just read, and the ones that we are going to read over the next couple of weeks. Um, if you hear about a book like The Reader that you are interested in and want to experience for yourself, uh, head to the website, click on those links, and buy the books, and we get a little cut of that, which helps defray hosting costs and stuff. Um, we also have links to our RSS and iTunes feeds. If you subscribe to us on iTunes, do take a second to rate and review because that helps us in the rankings and it helps more people find the show. And, um, you know, to go ahead and do some good old word of mouth evangelism for us this week. You should tell two friends and make them tell two friends and make them tell two friends and so on and so on until we are the best podcast, like the biggest podcast that there is. I mean, we're will be the that's best. my goal Don't that's worry. my primary goal to be the biggest podcast around yeah all right no i mean itunes says we have five stars out of five stars which means like we're the best we can't get better than we are <laughs> <laughs> so we have to get bigger yeah all right there's only one way to grow and that's you the listener yeah <laughs> um next week yeah what are you I'm reading gonna be, i'm gonna be reading a little book called girl with a pearl earring by tracy chevalier i believe is how you pronounce it's about the name it's about paintings right yeah about paintings so uh look forward to that uh, that'll be up next monday and until then try to be happy